This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of At The Turn. Just Joe today. No Nick. And you know why? Because Nick is on paternity leave. That's right. The Heidelberger clan grows by one. Congrats to both Nick and Ashley on their new baby girl. Nick will be back. Very soon. Don't want to apply any pressure. Take your time, Nicholas, if you're listening. Can't wait to have you back. I miss you. But we do press on today. A reminder, rate and review at the turn, no matter where you're listening. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. It really helps the podcast. It helps us grow the audience because that algorithm likes shows that have lots of reviews and ratings. So I implore you to please rate and review the show. As always, we are brought to you by Piper Golf. Go to piper.golf, use that promo code TURN10 at checkout for 10% off. They're outstanding golf balls. For golfers of all skill levels, they're for everybody. High handicappers, low handicappers, mid handicappers, they'll take care of you at Piper Golf. Go to piper.golf, use that promo code TURN10. Show also brought to you by Matchstick Golf, promo code TURN20 at checkout. Dane Delgado, he's up to his old tricks. Beautiful designs coming out nearly every week. A lot of really cool collaborations. We're going to have Dane on the podcast soon. It's been too long. We miss him here, even though he's one of my golfing buddies, and I see him once a week. Want to get him on the mic. Need to get him back here. Okay, now down to business for today. Tyler Munns. You may know him as Fade and Fairway on a variety of social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok. He's an equipment junkie. Super into the less than 14 movement. We talk about, shoot, a lot of things. Tried to focus most of the conversation around playing with fewer clubs in the bag. The philosophy behind it. We talk about playing from the right tees. A lot of fun topics, conversation had with Tyler. Very smart guy. Very cerebral. I like the way he thinks about the game. It made for... A longer conversation than I expected us to have going into it. I think we spoke for about 45 minutes. He was very generous with his time. We had a lot of fun. I think it's a great conversation. Definitely worth sticking around for. So without further ado, here it is. Would you even quantify yourself as a like content creator? That's a really good question. And uh, it's one I've been thinking about more more recently as the page has gotten a little bit more traction it's like man what what am i doing um i guess to go back like i started playing golf when i was in high school um and kind of took a lot of and i didn't really i got to college didn't really play got my first job out of college didn't really play um and then in i think it was like 2016 i was like yeah i might think about getting back into it. Um, so when I was getting back into it, I noticed that there was a little bit more of a social media scene that really hadn't been there in like, you know, I mean, shit, Instagram wasn't even around when I was playing, you know, when I, when I first started playing. So I noticed that like, Hey, there's, so I was like, you know, I'll, I'll start an Instagram golf page 
And then it was, uh, you know, and from a branding perspective, like ampersands were like really big. So it was like blank and blank with the, you know, very like stylistically drawn ampersands. So I was like, I'll do that. And then I'll sure. have someone make me a cool logo. So that's really, it was just like alliteration and an amper in like a really like, so, uh, cliche hipster branding ampersand thing. So that, that's really where the name came from. It, it has really no significance other than that. Um, and then I promptly stopped playing golf again. And then in like mm. 20, early 2020, I was like, I think I'm going to pick it back up. Um, cause of COVID, n- you know, no, it was like right before, uh, it was tw- actually, it's probably like December, 2019. I was like, you know what? Like going into the new year, I really have kind of abandoned a lot of my hobbies. Like I had turned, I, I I've always liked outside of golf. I, I like building things. And so I, I had a bunch of like woodworking equipment and I had done the very millennial thing of taking a hobby, turning it into a, a, a source of revenue and then yeah, monetize it where I hated it. And so I was like, man, I got to find something that I don't hate doing. Um, and so I was like, oh, I can always go back to golf. I still have my clubs. So um, that was like late 2019. And then obviously the pandemic hit. So it accelerated my, my kind of like reintroduction to the game. And then social media was even bigger. I mean, the social media scene in golf is huge now. And so, um, I was like, man, I wonder if I remember the, uh, the, the login information for that account. And I did. Um, and I think I had like, I don't know, 85 followers or something. Sure. And then I was like, you know what? I think like, let's just see what I can do. Like I'm going to post things that I like, which I've always been very inclined to towards, um, more of the equipment side. Like I love things that are engineered, machined. Like I like, you know, watches. Um, if, you know, if I ever win the lottery, I'm going to, I'm probably going to dive super deep into the watch game. Um, you know, I like pocket knives. Like I, I just like things that are built like that. And so golf clubs kind of lend themselves or the equipment aspect of it, um, of golf, um, is, is obviously attractive to me. So I was like, I think I'll kind of put it around that. And then, um, I kind of found my second niche with the, the half set stuff, um, you know, playing playing less than 14 clubs. Um, and so then it was like, you know, from like a marketing perspective, it's like, if you're trying to enter a space that's somewhat, um, you know, uh, somewhat over, oversaturated, like find your niche and hit it hard. And so I was like, all right, I like equipment and I going to play less than the, you know, maximum allowed clubs in a bag. And that's what I'm going to do. And, um, yeah. So for right now, it's definitely like a transitionary period for the, the account. I'm, I just dropped a YouTube video, you know, like I'm trying to get into that, like the course vlog thing, like, so I guess, yeah, I would, I would maybe to answer your question in five minutes, I would, uh, <laughs> I would, I would classify myself now as a content creator, amateur content creator, something I don't ever expect to go beyond what I'm doing now, but it, I do have a lot of fun with it. So at the end of the day, I think that's what matters. Well, that's, what's so important. And that's, and that's why we started this, this podcast, um, me and Nick is it needs to be fun. If it's not yeah. fun and you're grinding away and you're just trying to monetize it, then it loses the appeal. Because sure, you can make you know a few bucks off it, but if you're not enjoying what you're doing and the conversations you're having and the whatever the product is that you're producing, if it is for sale, if it is for you, there needs to be that balance between those two things. And you talk about the the less than fourteen clubs thing, and that was the impetus for me wanting to have you on. Is I find it so interesting that golf equipment went so far and it still is in the direction of getting better clubs, balls, everything to lower scores. Everything is so specialized. And now it's starting to swing back the other way where the vintage, the retro, look at this really old two iron that I have that I'm playing in my bag. And we only played golf one time together and you had this really sweet wooden wood that I was too afraid to swing because I was hacking it up that day. I didn't want to break your club the first time we met. But that is so interesting about your account and what you're doing, Tyler. Before we get to the 14 clubs thing and playing less than the half bag, the actual retro vintage sets that you're putting together. Are you putting those together to play with most of the time? Or are you putting those together just because, oh, this thing's a beauty. Look at these old, these, you knows that I got here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit of both, right? I, um, I'd certainly do play 
you know, I, I almost always have a persimmon driver or like a fairway wood in the bag because it's fun to hit. And that's, that's really like the, and, and I don't get super into the vintage as, as much as some other people do. I, I'm a, a drawn more towards kind of like the, the like the late nineties, mid two thousands, because like, that's when I was first starting to get into golf, but like being 15 years old and working at a go-kart track, like I couldn't afford any of the new clubs. And I, I think when I was in, when I really started getting into it, when I was like 15, 16, the, the tailor made super quad, like that black f- driver with the four movable weights, that yes. thing was out. And even at that point, it was like $500 driver for the TP version. And, you know, everyone, you know, you, if you wanted to be a cool kid golfer, you, you were getting the TP version, the two preferred. And so, you know, even then, I mean, 500 bucks in 2004 is, you know, that's about what they're selling drivers for now, um, you know, adjusted. So I couldn't afford that. Um, and so now that I'm older, I'm gainfully employed and all that equipment is 10% of the cost that it used to be. Um, I, I'm having a lot of fun revisiting, um, that era of equipment and with the understanding that like at the end of the day, it doesn't make a huge difference in, in how I play, um, or, or my scores. Um, I can tell you for 100%, it doesn't make a difference in how I play it. Maybe, maybe like one stroke over 10 rounds, it might make a difference. And so, I would rather play clubs that give like when I look at them, make me happy and give me this sense of nostalgia um, for a a period in time where I truly like was so enamored with golf because I've fallen in and out of love with golf um, several times. And, and um, now my, my primary focus is no longer my score. Um, Not that I don't care about it. I mean, we all do. That's, that's the, the allure of the game is the competitive aspect of it. But, um, I, I made it a point to focus on not allowing that to be the primary driver behind, uh, what I determine is like a, a successful day or an enjoyable day out on the golf course. And so part of that is like playing clubs that make me happy, you know, like, like holding, um, a set of like rack, uh, tailor-made rack, uh, blades, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a single digit handicap, but I shouldn't be playing blades. Like I know very few people should be playing blades, but it makes me happy. And if at the end of the day, I'm like, when I leave the course, I feel good that I was out there sand score. Like I'm that's, that's a, that's a success for me. Well, that's, that's something I've really been trying to focus on this year specifically is not being as score oriented as process oriented or enjoyment oriented we had a conversation last week about long irons versus lofted fairway woods. And Nick made a really good point because I have always played a three iron. I love hitting a three iron. It's a pretty reliable club off the tee for me. A little bit of a fairway finder. Yeah. And I'm not hitting as many fairways as I should with the driver. So I've gotten really used to punching out with the three iron, especially playing at Glenavere, which I have most of my life. Those trees, yeah. you, you can't hit over them. No matter how hard you try. Yeah. And I have. So the deriving the enjoyment of hitting the three iron is so important to me because it's a difficult club to hit. The seven wood is easier to hit. It'll probably lower my scores, but I know that I get so much enjoyment out of, you know, a hook three iron when you're trying to do it. So that has been more of my focus. Was it difficult for you to come back to the game and be less score oriented than you were when you were in high school and younger? Oh yeah. Um, it was still difficult. It was a little less difficult. I think, um, you know, when you're younger, you, you don't know what you don't know. And so, and you have expectations, it's easy to have like really, really high expectations of yourself, especially when you're like kind of good. That's the toughest spot to be in golf is where you're kind of good because you've tasted greatness. I've had putts for seventies, seventy ones, like, but the very next day I could go out and shoot 92. Like that is no, no matter what happens, you know, that is in the bag. And so, um, when, when you're younger, it's really, really hard for you to accept that. Like, yeah, man, I'm not as, you know, I'm not very consistently very good. I am, I have flashes of brilliance, but I'm mediocre. And I think the other thing too, is I, I, I wish I would have heard this, um, 
I don't remember who said it. It's some, some way of looking at golf, but it's like, um, even tour pros know that they have maybe three or four weeks a year where their game is on. And they're the whole, the whole thing with professional golf is capitalizing when the game is on because 80% of the time it's you're playing your, your C and D golf. And then 20% of the time, and it's probably like 15% of the time you're playing B golf and 5% of the time you were playing your A golf. And so, um, if I, I wish someone would have explained that to me, that it's just like, dude, like you're, <laughs> you know, you're not going to play your best golf all the time. You're not going to play. Shit is hard. Yeah. It's so hard. And, and you're not going to, you're, you're more often than not, you are not going to play to your potential and that's okay. Like that it's okay to, to, to accept that and you don't have to beat yourself up. And so as a, as a, adult in my late twenties, getting back into it in my early thirties, like it's a little bit easier for me to accept that, but I still have days where I'm just like, dude, or shots, you know, like individual shots within round. I'm just like, that sucks so hard. Like that was, that was genuinely dog shit. And dude, the video, the video that you posted, um, recently, I I've watched it like four or five times. It always cracks me up. I think you're out playing with your wife yeah. and you're trying to keep one low and you blast into the trees I don't know why your your wife just comes and she's dancing to music in the background and you just yell, fuck. And she's totally unfazed, just continuing to dance the same amount. Yeah. That that sums it up perfectly. That's like the perfect just analogy for what golf is. You're very focused, and your wife is like, It's sunny. I probably have a beer or two in me. Let's go. Yeah. And and as I get older, like and and I I take less of an emphasis on on um the score being factored into my enjoyment, it's a little easier for me to like, let those things go. Um, I, 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 but I also have to, at the same time, I think it's important for all of us to like give ourselves a little bit of grace. Like when we do get upset, because it, at the end of the day, like we're competitive people, golf is a competitive, it's one of the most competitive, um, games I think that you can play because there's, there's two factors, right? You're playing against the course you're playing at the, at the same time you're playing against the best version of yourself previously, you know, and then in a lot of cases, uh, you're playing against other people and I, there's not very many, um, venues or there's, there's not many activities where you're like kind of getting it from all sides. Um, and so when we do get upset or we do, uh, we are thinking irrationally, like sometimes I get embarrassed about that. Um, especially, you know, especially if I, if I overreact, like I should be embarrassed, but if sometimes I'm like mad and then I'm like, Oh, you shouldn't be mad. It's like, no, it's okay to be mad. Like it's okay to want to be the best that you can be and be disappointed. Um, I think the thing that I'm mostly focused on is just don't let that ruin the fun. Yeah. It can't consume you. Like if you, if you, if you're trying to execute something, you're unable to, I usually let, I, I try to let it out and let mm -hmm. it go. Yeah. Let it out and let it go because yes, I'm, I'm disappointed that I wasn't able to execute this cut shot, but like, am I out here grinding six days a week practicing? No, there's yeah. a reason why I'm not able to execute these shots because I play once a week and that's where my expectations should lie to your point earlier about like having the a game and then the D game. We had the club championship. This is like a decade ago now at the mm -hmm. course that I was living near. And I literally shot the worst score of anybody in the field in relation to my handicap. I had the worst net score of anybody. Next day I go out with Nick and I shoot my best round by like four shots. And I've been chasing that dragon ever yeah. since it sits on my fridge. The date is on it. And every year that the anniversary comes, it's coming up on the 13th. It's like, man, 11 years now from my best <laughs> round ever. And it's just, it's laughing at me as I walk out the door to my round, like, all right, Joe, good luck shooting a 66 today. It's like, yeah. I, I know it's not going to happen, but there's also, there's also some fun in the grind, right? Like when you have your C game, trying to compose yourself enough and get a score to where you're getting more out of it than you probably should. And I've really learned to derive satisfaction from that, not having it, but playing smart, yep. playing the swing that I have that day and just trying to get the damn ball in the hole. Yeah. I think it's super important for amateurs to recognize when they don't that. And, and this goes back. I love this um, that you said that because this goes back to um, Matt, when Max Homa, who his incredible story, but when he won for the first time in 2019 at the Wells Fargo, you know, they, he was on either no laying up or four player, one of them. And someone asked him, you know, like, what did you learn about that process? And he goes, I learned that I don't have, like, 
I don't have to play perfectly to win a golf tournament. Everything doesn't have to be fallen, has, has had to fall into place for me to win a golf tournament. I can win a golf tournament when things aren't perfect. And so, um, for, for us who don't, A, we're not playing for anything, you know, of importance and B, we don't, you know, we're not good enough to really truly be mad. It's like recognizing that you can still go out and shoot a decent score for you, you know, set your expectations accordingly, but you can go out and shoot a decent score for you. Like when, when the ball striking's not there or the putting's not there. And yeah, to your point, like there, there is a ton of satisfaction in shooting an 82, but you, you like grinded on that 82 and, and the driver wasn't working and you still eked out, you know, you still were within sniffing distance of the seventies, you know, um, that's, you know, that, that, that's something that you can drive incredible amount of, of, of joy and, and enjoyment out of, um, and still maybe potentially shoot a bad score. So the half bag, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by this movement. I'm fascinated by you doing it specifically. So where did you get this kernel of a thought that you would stop playing with 14 clubs in your bag? Did you see it elsewhere in social media? Did you take it upon yourself to be like, this is a really cool thing that I want to start doing? Where, where, where did it all come from? Um, it, uh, yeah. So, so when I jumped back into the, the golf thing in, in 2019, um, <clears throat> I, like I said, jumped back into the social media scene and I stumbled across, uh, it was actually, so national customs, uh, is a, is a custom golf, like very boutique, um, golf irons and wedges. Um, Don White, um, is a prolific wedge grinder. Um, and, uh, the, the, he was, the, the company was formerly scratch golf a long time ago. They sold it to some private equity firm and then they started their own thing. National customs. They make all hand ground, beautiful clubs. They're like six fifty ahead, but they're wow. gorgeous. And I, so yeah. I like it's eye candy. I love looking at it. And so I, I saw it and there was one account that they had like reposted and it was, um, it was a half set of irons. And I was like, man, that's super, huh? That's interesting. That's an economic way to try to jump into a national custom set. You know, it's like, Hey, if you're, instead of buying eight clubs, you're buying four, it's a little, a little more affordable. And so I, I followed the, or I went and followed the account as it was less than 14 is, is the name of the account. And that there, I, you know, I have to give all credit to, to that, to him, um, for, for introducing me to this thought. Cause I mean, like even playing high school golf, you know, your, your, um, the coach would be like, Hey, like take, you know, take, take a few clubs out of the bag and try to, you know, try, try to create some shots. It'll make you a better player as, as an exercise, not really as an equipment philosophy. And so it, I wasn't entirely foreign, but, um, this idea of like making it more of an equipment philosophy. And even then I wasn't fully sold on like the full conversion. I thought, Hey, this might be fun every once in a while to take the Sunday bag and, you know, go knock it around with it with a few, few, fewer clubs, which sure. So like playing without the driver or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, taking three, you know, taking your evens or your odds irons out and, you know, you have three fewer irons. So it means you can put three beers in the bag and you don't feel like you're carrying much more than, you know, than you would have been. So, um, I was like, I'll give that a shot. And I liked it. I really, I really liked it. Um, and then as most things with me, a lot of what I say and do kind of starts as a, like a, a joke. I do it very ironically. So I'm like, oh, I'm just only going to play with, you know, eight or nine clubs um, because if I play like shit, I can say, well, I only had eight clubs. Imagine what I could have done when I, if I had 14. And then Built if I play, excuse, really, yeah. yeah, if I play really well, then it's like, wow, I only had eight clubs. Imagine what I could do with 14. And so um, I thought that was funny. And so I was like, and I didn't really notice any difference in my scores and I was having more fun. It was forcing me to use my brain more to be like, instead of saying like, all right, I have 147 yards, which of my clubs is going to do that. It's like, I have 147 yards. How do I make this club go 147 yards? Um, and so I really like that. And then, um, I don't know, it was probably about a year into it. I was like, yeah, I just don't ever really see myself going back to, um, to playing with 14 clubs. And that's when I started getting into like, building my own clubs. And it's a lot easier to, you know, go on eBay and find an eight iron head, a pitching wedge head, a six iron head, and, you know, and only spend maybe 20, 30 bucks per than it is to like buy a full set of irons and, 
try to sell off the other half. Um, so from just a, an equipment junkie standpoint, it's a little less expensive to do that. So all of that put together, I it's been three years now and I don't, I, I like the way that I play. And so now my goal moving forward is like, I want to try to get better and be able to play some more competitive events. Like it, how rad would it be? This is me in my brain. Like how rad would it be to qualify for the Oregon amateur championship with seven clubs? I think it would be a great story. Truly. And I, you know, I have zero aspirations of going, you know, <laughs> going far, but just to get there, you know, to, to, to shoot a couple rounds that, that, that get me to qualify, like, man, that would be very, very cool. Have you learned more about your golf swing from this since, and I see you, uh, when you, when you post the videos about it, you don't say like, all right, well, this is my five iron. You say, well, I'm hitting mid iron or I'm hitting short iron now. Have you learned more about your swing or your game or your, I mean, yourself, not to get too philosophical about it from doing this? Because I mean, let's face it, it's fun, but you are putting yourself at a disadvantage. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I don't know if I've learned more about my swing. Um, it's, it's taught me things like, you know, tempo um, and um, feel it's, you know, I, I, I definitely would say I've, I've become a lot more of a feel player than trying to just be a robot, um, which is what I was trying to be, um, you know, back in the day. So it's taught me that. Um, yeah, I think Phyllis, yeah, I mean, about myself, it's, it's, it's helped me learn the lessons that I think I need to learn, which are like, set your expectations, give yourself some grace, um, you know, try to redefine the definition of success in whichever, you know, like whatever moments you are. And, and you can take those on and off the golf course, right? Like sometimes, um, and, and I've, I've said this before, like this idea of like playing the right tee, I don't hit the ball super far. So I don't like to, I don't like to tip it out. Like there are guys that love to like, they want to go as far back as they possibly can. I don't, I have a range at which I like to play that is fun for me. And if I have the choice, that's where I'm going to play. But every once in a while, um, you're not going to have the, you, like you're going to be forced into a position where you're playing from the wrong tees or every once in a while you are going to have to hit a shot with a club that, that, that isn't, you know, you, you, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I, if I have a 125 yard shot, I don't have a 20, 125 yard club. I have 115 yard club and I have a 150 yard club. So what, so I got to figure it out. And like, that's, uh, you're going to be put in so many positions in life where you have a 125 yard problem and you only have a 115 yard solution. And so what are you going to do? And, uh, th that, that putting yourself in that mind frame and figuring out how, how you can be successful from that. Um, it's, yeah, I would say it's taught me a lot about, being more patient and being more um, like giving myself more grace in, in moments where I could probably beat myself up and be negative. And, and that's just not going to get me very far. You mentioned playing from the right tees. I saw that on your podcast, you did an episode about yeah. playing from the right tees. I always think that the lower handicap should acquiesce to the higher handicap. Like if your group is, 15 to 20 handicappers and there's a single digit handicapper with them. I think it's more fun if the single handicap plays up mm -hmm. rather than the higher handicaps play back. Yeah. Maybe once in a while you can do the inverse where everyone plays back a little bit farther, but I know it's sort of the general thought process that everyone should play a little bit more forward. I probably hit the ball a little farther than most people. And I like playing back some of the time, but I also think it's fun to play up and mm -hmm. challenge yourself with different shots in that way. There's a thought that when you play back, you're going to have shots that you're not used to. I also think when you play forward, you get the same thing. Yeah. I mean, like uh, having a long iron into a par four can be just as difficult as having like an awkward 50 yard chip shot into a par four that you don't practice. I mean, oh, yeah. like the, the, the results could be exact. You could double from both of those spots. Um, and, and my thing with, with playing, playing up, I understand like if, if you are a competitive golfer, like you are playing 
in the amateur cir- you know, circuits or you're trying to do mini tour stuff like, yeah, like you should be playing back, but I'd imagine you're playing with other people who are competitive golfers and that's not going to be a problem. If you are a stick and you hit the ball very far and you're playing with a bunch of 15 handicaps, play up, man. Like if you start making too many birdies and you, you are having absolutely no fun because you're going too low, um, then, then we can, we can talk about moving it back, but it's like, I don't, it, it, it I don't think you're going to enjoy the game any less if, if you're, you know, potentially driving a few more greens, that's fun. Um, and if that's a huge problem for you individually, you know, like find another group to play with, not, not saying like find new friends. That's not, that's not the, the solution, but it's like, you know, play with those guys, but then find other people who are a little bit closer to your skill set and your distance so that you can, you feel like you can be challenged in that way. Um, because there is something to be said about, you know, pushing your limits so that you can get better. Um, and, and I, I think that, you know, as a society, we we're constantly doing that, right? I mean, we're always pushing profits. Like the soul of this country is, uh, is stock, you know, stock price. Money. So, you know, so we're always pushing to drive profits. We're always pushing to be better. And that's great. And that, that gives us things like the iPhone and, you know, um, vaccines and stuff like, but there's also nothing wrong. And I think this is another thing that like playing the half sets has done for me is allowed me to, to be comfortable with where I'm at and say like, Hey, I'm shooting, you know, mid seventies to mid eighties. Like I'm good with that. You know, like, It, from from you know 61 to 6500 yards i'm good for a mid 70s mid 80s and i'm good with that for right now and if i decide i want to be better than that then i can push myself but i'm also not going to feel like i'm you know like that that i'm 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 somehow going backwards if i'm not pushing myself to be better yeah for sure and the point you make is such a good one about are you making too many birdies is that is that not fun for you I read that Bryson used to do this when he was younger. He used to play from, you know, quote unquote, the women's tees, which I wish they would rebrand that as red tees because they're just a color. And the fact that we assign, yeah, the fact that we assign a gender to it is, is insane. Bryson would go out and play the red tees because he wanted to get used to making a lot of birdies. That's a really good feeling to get comfortable making birdies because I think what happens with a lot of folks, myself included, I I can't count the number of times I've started around where I'm like, two under through five or like one under through nine. And I start thinking about that. And then I decelerate so much because I'm like, let's protect this round. And it's like, no, dude, the reason you're in this position is because you've made three birdies in a bogey through 10 holes and you can take it deeper. But I find myself trying to like protect a lead against myself. And then you get in your own head about it. But if you get used to making seven, eight birdies around because you're playing more forward, you'll get Mm -hmm. accustomed to that. And I think when you play your regular tees, Mm -hmm. you'll be used to shooting a low score. Yeah, there's something to be, you know, this idea of and I never knew what it meant. um, But when like uh, commentators will say on on a broadcast, like he, he isn't afraid to go low. It's like, what the hell does that mean? And then when you're in a position where you're one under through nine, you're like, Oh, that's what that means. I am petrified. I'm white knuckling. I'm going to white knuckle this thing into the clubhouse. And I just, you know, I, all I need to do is shoot par. It's like, no, no, man, like green lights all day. Just go for it. Because at the end of the day, like, do you want to, yeah. Do do you want to shoot a 78 when you were one under through nine, because you steered it in, or do you want to shoot an 82, but you went after everything and you knew that like a couple extra bounces or a couple different swings and like, you know, you, you're, you're shooting maybe three under that's a little bit of an extreme example, but the, the sentiment stands. It's like, yeah, don't, you can't it, like that. That is an aspect of golf too. That is so unique. I think to any other, at any other sport, it's, it is such a mind game because there's uh, materially nothing different about the course. The course doesn't care about your score. The course doesn't get harder if you're one or two under. Doesn't get easier if you're five over. Like the course is the course, but the you know the, the context of your round versus the course that can that can change so drastically. And I think it is a great idea to go out there and get get comfortable with the idea of like, oh yeah, I could I could potentially make ten birdies out here today. I could do that. That's that's in me. I've done it before. Um, 
yeah, that's that's a great lesson. I, I didn't know Bryson Bryson did that. That's that's pretty smart for for someone who's fake smart. Yeah, very fake smart. Um, speaking of fake smart, I'm sure you saw this topic going around social media, but I thought it would be a good topic for us. Uh, this is from Sam Wyman. He is uh, with Golf Digest, and we've 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 poked fun at Golf Digest and a lot of their SEO clickbait that they have uh, yeah. on this podcast. But this one this one is terrific. So the prompt is. A milestone round, let's just say breaking 80, is interrupted by darkness or a conflict. Player X shoots 39 on the front, but has to leave, comes back the next day, tees off on 10, knowing what's at stake, and shoots 40. Does this count as breaking 80? That's a good, that's a good thought experiment. It um, really is. Jeez. Uh, here, here's the thing. Uh, it, it personally, I would, if it were me, I would not count that. I, I, would, I, would, I. I wouldn't think that that's, but if someone was like, I broke 80 and they told me that story, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, you did. I mean, you played the front, you played the back, you played them as closely together as you kind of could. Um, it's almost more difficult to sleep on a lead, a, a lead, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say I would, I wouldn't poo poo on that. Um, just in the same way that like, if I, I have a couple hole in ones on like uh pitch and putts and a same par, a par three course, I don't count those. Like I don't have I don't a hole in one. Uh, but if someone was like, I got a hole in one and it was out at, um, you know, Sahali, I'd be like, that's rad, dude. Good for you. Like put that up on the wall. Um, so I, I think it's like personal. I think so too. Yeah. My, my two holes in ones are out at Edgefield the yeah. pigeon putt. And so, you know, those are 50 yard holes. Did I celebrate like it was a hole in one at the time? Sure. Oh, yeah. Did I go into the little, you know, clubhouse bar they have and buy everyone a drink? Sure. Yep. Have that whole experience. Did I steal the flag after a few too many beers? Yes, I did. Sick. I know. That's sick. I I love that. <laughs> it was, it was, it was my third date with my girlfriend at the time. We've been together for eight years now. And, uh, I wanted to impress her, I guess. So we ripped off the flag and I was so scared the rest of the round that we didn't even, we did, we had one quick shot in the clubhouse and I got the hell out of there, but I'm glad I did it. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm there with you, man. The first time I get a, a, a what I'm going to qualify as a real hole in one, I'm, I'm taking the pin flag. It's, you've got no, to, I kind of want to take the whole pin. Um, and we'll just see, we'll see how, uh, how, how bold I am on the day. But yeah, the pin flag at the very least is going in the bag. And if, yeah, depending on how late in the round it is, it might, I might just take the whole thing. I, so I, I, I think philosophically we're on the same page where personally, I'm going to say it's like breaking my lowest ground ever. So mm -hmm. I shot a 67, as I alluded to like 11 years ago, uh, haven't sniffed it since. But if I was say two under after nine holes, I stopped, I had to go back the next day and I shot 66 with those two combined nines. I just couldn't in good conscience count that as my lowest run ever. Technically it would be, yeah. but I would know, you know that there's an asterisk next to it in yeah. your head. But like you said, if someone has never broken 80 and that's the way they do it and they're excited about it and they feel that that is the way they broke 80, that is totally up yeah. to them. I'm not going to dap them up. Exactly. We're not the gatekeepers of someone's accomplishments if they're into it, I think that's great. Personally, yeah. it's not for no, me. I wouldn't count it. I just, I just couldn't in good conscience do it. It's just, but it's I just hate two separate nights. A little bit, so that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, I, I'm a masochist, so it's just no, like I, I hear you, dude. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting thought. I just, I just can't do it. It's just, it's just not for me. So no, I would. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny though, because it's funny that we think that because, um, from a, like a, a posting standpoint, like, uh, you, you, you'd post that round, you'd post that 18 hole oh, oh. score and I would go yeah. towards your handicap. And then arguably it's tough. It's tougher. Right. I mean, I mean, uh, I guess unless, unless you did your full warm up, you did, you know, your full warm up before, if you went, cold from the car to the back nine the next day and did it, I would be a little more inclined from even for myself to be like, yeah, I mean, that's pretty damn close. That's arguably harder. There's zero, you've lost all rhythm from the front nine. You're, you're yeah, coming no in context cold. for it. You know, yeah, you know what you need to do. 
you know what you've done. Like that's, that's hard. Um, but yeah, if you, if you go and hit the range, hit a few pots, like, yeah, then you've, you've, you've essentially started a new nine. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm such a lunatic that I have a nine hole score. I, I think I shot one under at Stone Creek from the whites. And so I'm like, all right, we really got to plan this nine holes that we're going to put next to this because this is an opportunity to get it down like a half a stroke. And it's like, yeah. what the fuck are you doing, man? Just go play golf. It's like, yeah, you, yeah we, you don't, just, we don't need to do any sneaky accounting here. <laughs> no, you just you just lose it. Um, Tyler, you've been really generous with your time. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to throw a, a new thing out to the podcast listeners. This is a brand new thing that we're trying with our guest. It is brought to you by Piper Golf. Go to piper.golf for 10% off incredible golf balls. They got sweet lids. What's the promo code? Turn 10 at checkout. And that is the name of the segment. Turn 10. 10 questions with Tyler Munns. We're going to try to rip through these. If you have a little bit of context around them, let yeah. me know. But we'll try yeah. to get through them rapid fire. All right. Yeah. Number one, Jack or Arnold? Arnold. I think Number Jack two. is uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Jack. But yeah. no, especially in the last five years, he's made a he's made a lot of questionable choices. Maybe just stay off social media, Jack. Just That's, go to the memorial. Yeah he, yeah, he needs a PR guy. Really does. Or just has a terrible one. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> number two, hole in one or lowest round ever. Oh, geez, that's tough. I'm going to go hole in one. Any reason why so I can always get it's I don't know. I, I have my I have a lowest round ever. I don't have, you know, like. In theory, I have a lowest round ever. I don't have a hole in one, so I want what I don't have. I like that. Number three, favorite course in the Portland area? Ooh, uh, favorite course, I think probably Langdon. I really like Langdon. Even when I play terrible there, it is so much fun. It's it's a good course. The layout, the staff. The staff treats you better than probably any course in the area. And it doesn't feel like it's at that high mid tier, which it is. I mean, it's, that's that's the thing is like you, you drive in and it says, you know, public only, which is rad. I love that. Like what a flex. And then, yeah, it's, it, it reminds me of more of a, of a private, um, you know, a private atmosphere and like just all the holes are so interesting. Like the fact that, uh, I forget what is it like, maybe it's six is that really short par, par three that's a before you even started talking about it i knew what hole you were referencing i i it's it's the shortest about that it's the shortest par five in uh in oregon (laughs) that's it's so hard because even when you hit the green it's like all right good luck you have 30 feet that breaks five times you gotta hit you gotta hit the green that correctly or don't come at all Ah, what a great course all right number four the worst course in the portland area uh, gosh, I don't, I'll say my least favorite. I don't, th- you know, it's like a golf, co- all golf courses. Course. Are cool. Um, I would say my least favorite is probably red tail. Yep. Agreed. Red tail. It's, and- so, it's so hard. It's a six hour round. <laughs> the course is overplayed. So the condition is, is tough and it's not there. You know, it's like, it's, yeah. it's right in there in a very popular. I understand all the challenges, but I just don't like it. Same. Number five, the most you've ever paid for a round of golf. Oh man, we played in Arizona, um, in February and, uh, yeah, I don't even, I think it was like $300, um, for the one, well, and that was part of the trip. So like, I don't even know what we ended up paying for. This was like a separate round outside of the, the trip cost, which was all inclusive in golf, which I don't know how you amortize that out. We may have paid more than that, but like we played an extra round and it was like $300 and it was not a $300 round, <laughs> but it was Arizona in February. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, number six, Tyler, what's your favorite club? Uh, favorite club, uh, probably, probably the driver. That's my straightest club. Oh, I like Putter that. Included. <laughs> Number seven, what's the most important putt you've ever made? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, most important putt I've ever made. Uh, I'll say I, I, the, the one that comes to mind is it was the first time that I, I played with this guy um, who is 
so good. Um, he, he probably could make it on the mini tours if he cared. He was the most apathetic golfer I'd ever played with, but like I saw him shoot, uh, I saw him shoot a 72 with eight birdies. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. And it's like, not cause like he just blew up. He just like, didn't ca- like, he just didn't care if he went birdie bogey, birdie bogey, birdie bogey. It just didn't really phase him. Um, anyway, so I, I, we'd play, we'd play for money a lot and he would, he would beat me. Um, even when the handicaps like he beat me and I, um, put him away. Uh, the round was going my way, but mm-hmm. I, it was like a par. Th- it was this par three. I had like a 60 foot putt. I mean, this thing was like, I'm just like, if I can get this within three feet, we're going to keep going and I can beat him on either eight or nine. And I drained it. I mean, like, and it was one of those situations where he was, uh, you know, he, he was getting a little frustrated because he wasn't playing particularly well. He never got super mad. It wasn't like it was a, a bad situation, you know, like a un, unfun situation. But like, yeah. I, we didn't even say anything. I just like, in <laughs> pure silence, he watches it go in. He just kind of looks at me, looks back down at his ball. Because uh, he's got like a 30 foot putt for birdie to tie it. And uh and uh, I just kind of in silence walk, grab the ball and kind of just walk over to my bag. And we Beautiful. Didn't, we, didn't, we didn't say a word. That was that's the one that comes to mind. That's always the best when it's unspoken and understood the magnitude yeah. of what just occurred and nothing needs to be said. You could you could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> Number eight broadcasting question. Faldo or Azinger? Oh, gosh. <laughs> this is, is my so, favorite one, I have to say. It's so hard. <laughs> Oh my God. Oh man. I can't kill both of them. I have no, to you got to marry one. Got to marry yeah. one. Ugh. Um, I'll probably, you know what? I'll probably go with Zinger because, uh, Faldo had, had, I guess, cause he's retiring, um, had the potential to be so good. Yes. At, so good. He could, he could provide so much insight and, you know, you'd have Nance in the booth, like teeing him up, be like, all right, this is what he's dealing with. Nick, like, you know, what, what do you see here? What are you thinking? And then he would just give the most generic, like, you know, you would, you would assume if you didn't know anything about the history of golf, you'd assume that Nick doesn't play golf, that he, um, that he's just a career broadcaster and he, uh, usually does baseball, but they had to bring him in, uh, cause you know, someone was out sick and that for that reason, like Zinger is God, he also makes me laugh. Some of this, I think the fact that he says muffle a lot on, <laughs> on television, I, absolutely he Jeff? <laughs> I think he must know what he's doing. Like his, his daughter or someone explained it to him and he still says it the first time I'm like, all right, yeah, whatever. Uh, this, but he still says it. So I'm like, nah, he knows. He yeah, knows. like, I won the PGA championship. I don't give a shit. I'm going to continue yeah. to say this. Yeah. Um, number nine, are breakfast balls ever? Okay. Uh, you know, I don't hit balls before I play, so I'm, I'm totally fine with a breakfast ball. Um, but the, the rule is, is you have to play the breakfast ball. Like, so sometimes it's a situation where like you hit a drive and it's, it's probably in play, but it's not the best that you've played, you know, your best drive. And then you hit the breakfast ball and it actually puts you in a worse position. You got to go play the breakfast ball. Like you can't, it's not picks and shoes. Like you've abandoned that first one and you're, you're playing the breakfast ball. So that's, that's my one rule, but I have, I have no problems with them. Last one. How early should someone arrive to the course before their tea time? Uh, um, I would, I, I like 20 minutes. That's I'm a 20 minute kind of guy. Um, I think, I think you can get there way too early. I wouldn't ever be there more than 40 minutes, but 20 minutes, anything less than 20 minutes. And I'm, I'm stressing. Um, I feel like I'm rushed, but yeah, 20 minutes is a sweet spot for me. I agree. I, whenever I hit balls before I play, unless it's like a tournament round or a super competitive round, even that I only want to hit like six to 10 balls just to make sure I can make contact. And then, you know, we'll figure it out there in the course. I hate having like a full proper session beforehand. It just, it just weirds me out. If, yeah, if, if, uh, if anything, I'll go, I'll try to hit like three drivers just to see like, Hey, what's that doing today? And then, um, and then I can usually find like, I, it, I just use chipping as an opportunity to find the center of the club face, get my hands acclimated to where that is, um, you know, and then, uh, and then roll a few putts to get an idea of the, the speeds of the greens. Um, and then, 
I'm off. I hate hitting balls before around because like I, it, it, it works both ways for me. And I, some people are like, Oh, if I hit the ball poorly on the range, like I, then I know I'm going to play well. Or if I hit the ball great on the range, I'm not going to play well. It's if I hit the ball great on the range, I'm not going to play well in my head. And then if I hit it poorly, I don't know how to swing a golf club. And so like, it's just all bad for me. So I prefer not to hit on the range. <laughs> no, I'm the same way. Tyler fade and fairway. Um, where do you want to point folks that are listening right now? Uh, yeah, just find me on Instagram, um, at fade and fairway. And, uh, you know, I got my, my link tree all up in the bio and you can find like the podcast, you can find YouTube, which just dropped, I dropped a YouTube video today. I'm, I'm giving that a go. Um, nice. and then, um, my shop and, and all that other stuff is on there. So yeah, Instagram's the easiest way to find me. This was a lot of fun, man. We should get out and play Langdon soon. Oh, definitely. Yeah. We, we need to tee it up before the weather goes to shit in maybe October. <laughs> Yeah, and when I have a little bit of a swing still, maybe I'll try one of those uh, persimmon clubs. Absolutely. I would love I would love to let you hold my wood. <laughs> I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn. Thank you.